Okay, so uh, we are into chapters 9 and 10 uh, of Joshua and what a fantastic journey it has been. So how many of you, you have really enjoyed our Joshua series, yeah? So praise the Lord. So uh, just a bit of recap. So in uh, last week, Pastor Joel talked about the Achan, you know, Aiken. Yeah, so it's Chinese New Year, so we call him Achan. So uh, in, in chapter 7 and 8, we see how Achan's sin has caused the Israelites uh, to, to lose in battle and they lose 36 men. So 36 men were killed in the battle and this shook Joshua's faith. And we read in chapter 7, verse 7 of Joshua, Joshua lamented, if only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. So my dear friends, today, I do not know what you're going through right now, but I pray that you are not the if only Christian. If only I have tackled that girl, that girl would have been my wife. If only I have applied for that job, I would have been driving a BMW now. If only, if only, if only. So don't be an if only Christian wandering, W-A-N-D-E-R, wandering, W-O-N-D-E-R. So you are wandering in the desert, in the wilderness, and you're wondering what happened to your life. So I pray that none of us here, uh, physically and online, you are that kind of a Christian, yeah? So... What did God do with Joshua when he lamented that if only we stayed on the other side of the Jordan? So he was reprimanded by God and uh, we, we read in, in, uh, later on that he led the Israelites to victory over Ai and renewed their covenant with God. So in Mount Ebal, they read the book of the covenant yeah, and, and they continue to move on with God. So, the theme for 2022 for a church, can you remember the theme? Can you remember? Together? We move forward to take the future, yeah? So, let us move forward to take the future and in order to move forward, there are two movements involved. There is a living behind and there is a moving forward. So, there's two movements so don't let our past failures bind us, but instead let our past embolden us even as we move forward because God is the author of and finisher of our faith. So just think of your own life. What is God bringing you out from and into this year? Even as we are into the lunar year of the year of the tiger, just think for a while. What is God bringing you out from and into this year? So even for the church, we are in this spirit of transition and transformation. So some of this may be very painful for, for some of us, but whatever that we go through, think for yourself. What is God bringing you out from? and into this year. So even as we continue in our study in chapters 9 of Joshua in regard 
uh, to the Gibeonite deception. And in chapter 10, on the battle with the five Amorite kings, I'm reminded of these verses in Psalm 138, verses 7 to 8, which you can see on your screen. Uh, let me read to you. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So even as we study these two chapters, I've entitled my sermon, The Triumphs of God's Grace. And you will soon discover uh, with me that despite the blunders of Joshua and the Israelites, God turned it around. And we see the triumphs of His grace throughout these exploits. Let's look at the five take-home points and I've used the acronym G-R-A-C-E, GRACE, uh, to, to bring home these five points. So the triumphs of God's grace, go inquire of the Lord, realign to God's plan and purpose, advance to move forward with God, cut off completely the hindrances, engage with God, again and again. So we will look at these uh, five take-home points in detail later on. I hope you have brought your Bibles because today we are going to refer to a lot of scripture. Uh, sorry, I didn't prepare a lot of PowerPoint slides. Yeah, so uh, please refer to your Bibles, whether it's the physical one or the ones in your phone. So let's read uh, chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 6. Okay, are you there? Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and parched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. So after the victory at Jericho and Ai, Israel's greatest danger was not the confederation of the armies of Canaan, but it was a group of men from Gibeon. So in verse 6 that we have read, they said they came from a far away land, where in actual fact, Gibeon was just 25 miles away from Gilgal. The fact that the Gibeonite asked to enter into covenant with Israel in verse 6 that we have just read 
indicates that they somehow knew about the law where Israel could offer peace to cities that are outside of Canaan. The Gibeonites used trickery and false pretenses to mislead the Israelites. They then proceeded to use flattery and history of Israel's victories in battle beyond the Jordan. And we read this in verse 9 and 10. They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. So why did the Gibeonites mention Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, but they did not mention about Jericho and Ai? So the reason why they did not mention Jericho or Ai, because if they have mentioned these two uh, victories, it would blow their cover uh, as those battles happened just recently because they say we come from a far away land. So how could they know about these recent victories? So verse 9 to 13 are telling verses of how the Israelites operate by sight rather than by faith and inquiring of the Lord. So the average Christian and many of us, we are easily taken up by uh, how a person acts. Yeah? So we are impressed uh, when people are able to quote scriptures and say, wow, this guy, uh, no need to refer uh, Bible, can quote scriptures. Wow, this guy can preach so well, so good, so good. And we are so taken up by the outward appearance of a person. But beware, because there may be imposters among us, and there is a growing trend today, especially uh, among the younger people. They are so taken up by personalities and cool pastors. So they say, wow, this pastor's cool, man. He's so cool, man. So don't be impressed by just the outward appearance. Yeah, because you never know what is really behind that person? So look for the fruit of the person rather than the outward appearance. So the problem with Joshua and the Israelites lies in verse 14. And let's read from the screen, Joshua 9 verse 14. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So this was their failure, and this is a twofold problem. Number one, the false pretenses of the Gibeonites. Uh, and number two, the failure of Joshua and the Israelites to pray and inquire of the Lord. So one is a liar, and one is neglecting God by being too presumptuous. So like Joshua and the nation of Israel, God's people today are living in enemy territory. So every day, whether you like it or not, you are living in enemy territory. And we must constantly be exercising caution. So when we believe the enemy, instead of seeking the mind of God, you can expect 
to get into trouble. So there is a Jewish proverb which reads, and you can see on the screen, it is better to ask the way 10 times than to go down the wrong road once. And Alan Redpath has this to say, it seems to take us a long time to learn the lesson that neglect of prayer always leads to trouble and destroys the spirit of discernment. And this is what happened to Joshua and the Israelites. And we read in verse 15, So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the rulers of the congregation swore to them. So their word is their bond, and once entered into cannot be broken. So your enemy and mine, like the Gibeonites, is clever, deceptive, and we are not ignorant of their devices. So what is it that can strengthen us to be perceptive to deceptions and Satan's veil attacks? It is this key principle that you see on screen that you can apply in your life. So the first point under G-R-A-C-E, go inquire of the Lord. Inquire of the Lord by getting close to the Lord. Satanic strategy is overcome by divine proximity. So you are more discerning when you are close to God. So when you are close to God, your spirit man is more discerning when you are under deception. And number three, be a Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 believer of Yahweh. Walk by faith and not by sight. And in Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. So what is all? All means all are. Semua. Chimpo. Yeah, so all is all in all your ways. Sometimes we feel that, ah, yeah, this little thing also need to catch out God. I mean, God won't be offended or won't be like fed up of you, okay? So even in everything, in this verse it says, in all things, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Amen? So the Gibeonites are clever and as far as they are concerned, they did the right thing. They cling on to Joshua, which name means God is deliverance for their life and turn over their livelihood and protection to Joshua. So Joshua and the Israelites could not violate their oath of covenant with the Gibeonites as that would mean taking the holy name of Jehovah in vain, and this would have brought about divine judgment. So we read on in Joshua verse, uh, 9, verse 19 to 21 on your screens. Then all, the rulers said, then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, Let them live, and let them be woodcutters 
and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. And in verse 27, And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. So the second principle is to realign to God's plans and purpose. So as the Israelites complain about their leaders for being deceived by the Gibeonites, Joshua and the leaders realign to God's plan and purpose and no deception could derail this, but instead we see the triumph of God's grace in this episode. By appointing the Gibeonites as woodcutters and water carriers for the service of the tabernacle where water and wood are used in abundance, in later years we see that the Gibeonites were called the Nathanim, the given ones, given to assist the priests and they laboured as servants in the temple. So it is likely that the Gibeonites' service in the tabernacle and later on in the temple influenced them to abandon their idols and worship the God of Israel. So the fact that over 500 Nathanim returned to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity, and we read this in Ezra, suggests that they were devoted to the Lord and the house. So my dear friends, God specializes in blessing mess-ups. So whatever mess-up that you have gone through in your life, it is not the end of the story. God can turn around your mess-up. And here we see that the Gibeonites were humble enough to know that they cannot beat this God of the Israelites. This is the triumph of God's grace that he had mercy on the Gibeonites and turned around the mistake made by Joshua and the leaders into a blessing. So even in our own lives and even for us in the leadership of SIBKL, believe you me, that even for us in the leadership of the church, we have made mistakes and we will continue to make mistakes. But despite whatever mistakes that we go through, God can turn it around and turn it into a blessing. Amen? So even as we are into this transition and transformation journey, when we are aligned to God's plan and purpose, nothing and no one can derail the purposes of God and we will continue to move forward to take the future. So the key principle here is our mistake is not final. Realign again to God's plan and purpose. When we make a mistake, God can use that mistake to work out for our good. Romans 8.28 Use that mistake as part of your testimony to help others who have made that very same mistake as you to overcome it and move forward. So God is bigger than our mistakes or the sum of our mistakes. But that does not give us the recklessness 
to repeat the same mistake again and again and again. So let's quickly now continue our story. And now in your Bibles, let's look at chapter 10, okay, reading from verse 1 to 6. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it doing to Ai and his king as he had done to Jericho and his king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hohem, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jamuth, Japhia, king of Lashish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jamuth, Lashif, Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Adonai Zedek, which names means Lord with the small L of righteousness, heard that the Gibeonites had done uh, and rallied four other Amorite kings to join forces and encamp before Gibeon. So Gibeon, as we have read, was a great city, like one of the royal cities, a key strategic central place to launch attacks, and the Gibeonites are no wimps, as we read in verse 2 that they were mighty men, and yet they chose to be on the winning side, Jehovah's side. So Joshua and the Israelites have learned their lesson well, and this time around, before marching up from Gilgal, let's read verses 7 to 8. Uh, what happened on your screen? Verse 7 and 8. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So this time around, Joshua and the Israelites inquired of the Lord. And in verse 8, the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. As these five kings and their armies assembled, unbeknown to them, God was using these events to accomplish his own purposes. Instead of having to defeat these five city-states one by one, God would help Joshua conquer them all at one time. So God used Joshua's mistake 
with the Gibeonites to protect the Gibeon and to accelerate the conquest of Canaan. Again, what a triumph of God's grace. And God did it in style, not once, but twice. So let's read how God won the battle uh, from verses 9 to 15 uh, in chapter 10 in your Bible. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Egalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Joshua. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky, and delayed going down after a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. So even as Joshua and the Israelites advanced to move forward with God, we read in verse 9 that they marched all night long from Gilgal to launch a surprise attack because he knows that the victory is theirs to claim. Amen? So they believed God's promises and knew that victory was assured. God assisted the weary Jewish soldiers by killing the enemy with large hailstones. And this is a miracle in itself because the hailstones only hit and kill the enemies. So it's like the angels are looking out for Israelites that the hailstones do not hit them. So this in itself is a miracle. And the second miracle that we have read, that for the very first time in the history of man, God listened to a man and when he says, Son, stand still! The Lord heeded the voice of a man and God fought for Israel. So many have questioned the logic of this. How can the sun stand still? But this is not for us to question. And many people, they've questioned ecological hey, logic or not, but it is not for us to answer. And I leave you with this verse in Psalm 74, uh, verse 16 that you see on the screen. The day is yours, and yours also the night. You established the sun and the moon. And Charles Spurgeon has this to say, How God did it is no question for us. It is not ours to try and soften down miracles, but to glorify God in them. Amen? So let us have this stance that we don't question God 
or whether this thing happened or not, but by faith, we know that this word, the Bible, is the truth. So what is the key principle for us in, uh, even as we advance to move forward with God? When we are aligned with God and move in tandem with Him, God can even accelerate our victories to accomplish His purpose. And if you have uh, listened to Pastor Samkyong's message uh, yesterday, he talked about how God accelerated time. And here God accelerated the victory to accomplish His purpose. Instead of having to fight five kings one by one, at one blow, the five kings were all... Uh, <coughs> They, they won the battle over five kings. So speak to the sun, pause and ask for wisdom on how to move forward. As the day is, so shall your strength be. Deuteronomy 33 verse 25. When God's people are obeying God's will and move forward with God, everything in the universe works for them. Even the stars in their courses. Judges 5 verse 20. So, just to recap, so we have covered G, that is go inquire of the Lord. We have covered R, realign to God's plan and purpose. And thirdly, we have covered A, advance to move forward with God. And now we move to a difficult area where many people ask, why does a God of love declare war against the Canaanites and they are all to be killed off? Why does God require that all the Canaanites to be killed off? So this is a difficult passage. So if you read the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you would get a detailed long list of all the lurid practices of these people. So number one, the Canaanites worship demonic idols. Number two, they practice unnatural sexual acts. And the third one, which is what God hates the most, they sacrifice their children even to the Canaanite gods. And this is what God really hates. So in Genesis 15, when the Lord made His covenant with Abraham, we read uh, on your screen right now in Genesis 15 verse 13, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So now that it has reached its full measure for more than 400 years, God has been long-suffering and gracious to wait for the inhabitants of Canaan to turn from their wicked ways and repent. But that was not to be. So God is a gracious God, and we have seen this in the case of Rahab, the prostitute 
whose name was even mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, and even for the Gibeonites who are actually living in the land of Canaan, when they turned and made a covenant with Joshua, they were also spared. So God is a gracious God, and when we repent and turn to Him, He will surely receive but that was not to be. So for the nation of Israel and even for us believers, we are to cut off completely the sin that hinders our progress in moving forward. So the way to save the land is to read of these evil kings and their people. And knowing that the five kings were trapped in a cave, Joshua temporarily left them at Makeda and he set up a temporary camp near there until they had uh, completely established their control over central Canaan. So verse 20 described this mopping up operation as slaying them with a very great slaughter and only a few of the enemy soldiers escaped. So let's read Joshua 10, verse 20 to 21 on your screen. Then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished, that those who escaped entered fortified cities, and all the people returned to the camp, to Joshua at Makeda in peace. No one moved his tongue and against any of the children of Israel. And we read further in verse 24, So it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of going down of the sun that Joshua commanded and they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this day. So the significance of getting the captains to put their feet on the necks of the king was symbolic as a military sign of victory and dominions. It is symbolic not only of past victories, but also of victories that the Lord would give His people in the days ahead. So that's the picture that God wants us to have. That even as we put our feet on our sins and cut them off, you through Christ will walk in victory against the enemies that causes you to sin. Amen? And you can see on the screen right now, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Do you believe that? Amen? So the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet and we are to cut off 
what the enemy is tricking us or this, the, the, the deceit of the enemy. So even as we continue to read uh, in, in Joshua, there is one phrase that we see being repeated over and over again as Joshua conquests, uh, conquered the southern cities of uh, Canaan. And it is this verse that you see on screen in Joshua 10. Uh, there are six verses where this word is repeated. The age of the sword, the age of the sword is repeated six times. And in the NIV version, it says, put to the sword. And it is repeated six times. And number six in the Bible represents men or imperfection or carnality. So in the Bible, there is nothing which is like, you know, put there for sure only. Everything that God writes in His Bible is for a purpose. And it is no accident that this word, the age of the sword, is repeated six times. So what is the sword that we are talking about? It is the Word of God. So in the next slide, you will see that in Hebrews 4 verse 12, for the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So my dear friends, may we put the edge of the sword over our sins. What is holding you back in moving forward with God? Cut it off with the Word of God. May you truly read the Word of God and get into the Word. So the key principles of cut off completely the hindrances, cut off everything that so easily ensnares and run our Christian faith with great endurance. Hebrews 12 verse 1 to 3. Do not let the devil any foothold in your life and do not entertain or revisit the sin that you have repented from. Overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. So get into the word. Amen? And the last point, engage with God again and again. That even as I bring this to a close, we see a repeated action by Joshua and the Israelites that every time when they have uh, had a victory, they always go back to Gilgal. And we read in Joshua 5 verse 9, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. So Gilgal was significant to Israel and it was, as it was the place that they engaged and inquired of the Lord after crossing the Jordan. And God told them that this day, I, God, have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. God called Israel to a place where they saw themselves as they were in Him. So, in the next slide, you will see that Gilgal is a place of remembrance of God's deliverance and the rolling away of the reproach. Gilgal is a place of recommitment, 
of the nation of Israel to God via the covenant of circumcision. Gilgal is a place of redemption of the nation of Israel to the remembrance of the Passover. And lastly, Gilgal is a place of resource for the nation of Israel as they ate the produce of the land and manna ceased on that day. So my dear friends, it is good to have a place like Gilgal in your life. This is the place where we first come into God's promises. It is a place of memorial. It is a place of obedience and redemption. Do not neglect and forget your first love. Engage with God again and again and remember your Gilgal. So in closing and in summary, uh, let me just quickly go through these five points. The triumphs of God's grace that despite whatever mess up that you have gone through in your life, remember that God can fight your battles, that God can turn it around into a victory. Go inquire of the Lord for every detail of your life. Realign to God's plan and purpose. Advance to move forward with God. Cut off completely the hindrances and engage with God again and again. Let's close our eyes even as we pray. With all eyes closed and all heads bowed, even as you've seen in Joshua chapter 9 and 10, that despite whatever mess up the Israelites have done, even in their journey to the promised land, we see the triumphs of God's grace. And my dear brothers and sisters here uh, in this sanctuary and those who are tuning in online, I do not know what mess up that you have entered into in your life but despite whatever mess up God is there for you and now with all eyes closed and all heads bowed if you would like me to pray for you and you would like to live in the triumphs of God's grace may I invite you to rise to your feet and I will pray for you God is here for you no mistake no mess up is too big for God to turn it around. May we live in the triumphs of God's grace that whatever that you're going through, whatever difficult situation that you're in right now, remember that God is here with you and for you and He will fight this battle for you. Thank you, dear brothers and sisters who are standing here. Hallelujah. Father God, you see these ones who are standing in the sanctuary and for those who are tuning in online as well. Oh Lord, you know what they are going through. You know whatever mess up, whatever problems, whatever difficulties that they are going through right now. And I pray in Jesus' name, O oh Lord, that every day of their lives, that even as they look to you and even as they gaze upon Jesus the author and perfecter of their faith, 
I pray, Lord, that they will know and know in their hearts, O Lord, that truly the battle belongs to you, O Lord, and they will have this victory in you. I pray, Lord, that 2022 will be a defining year for them. I pray, Lord, that you will come true for them, that even as you fight their battles, O Lord, you will truly win this battle for them. I speak a blessing over these dear brothers and sisters that are standing in our midst. And I pray, Lord, that the days ahead, Lord, you will truly empower them, you will truly equip them, Lord, and you will truly make their path straight. We thank you, we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. Nothing can stand against the power of our God that even as we move forward in the year of the tiger, I pray, Lord, that truly we will move forward in the vigor and vitality of the tiger, that every step that we take will be directed by you, Lord, that truly, Lord, you will pave the way for us, Lord, that we will claim victory upon victory because the battle belongs to you, Lord. And we know that despite whatever circumstances that we may go through, whatever challenges, whatever difficulties, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who put their trust in you, Lord. So we thank you, we bless you, Lord. And may 2022 be a wonderful year for all of us. And may next week be a gracious week and a wonderful week filled with your love, mercy and grace for each one of us. So we thank you. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people say, Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for coming. Continue to enjoy your Chinese New Year and we will see you next week. God bless you. God bless.